This episode is sponsored by Macmillan Audio. In the December rush, your reading life can fall by the wayside. There are too many errands to run, presents to buy, and events to attend. This kind of a busy season is exactly when having an audiobook downloaded and ready to go can really help. You can squeeze in some reading while you're waiting in line to mail cards or while driving to that holiday party. Not sure what to listen to next? The Wonder of It All by Barbara Taylor Bradford, read by Joan Walker, is the long-anticipated third and final book in the House of Falconer trilogy, which has followed the story of a remarkable family from Victorian times to the 20th century. The audiobook is filled with drama, intrigue, and Bradford's trademark cast of compelling characters. Start listening to The Wonder of It All by Barbara Taylor Bradford now, wherever audiobooks are sold. Hello and welcome to A Bookish Home. I'm your host, librarian and writer, Laura Zaro-Papinski, and today Ritu Mukherjee is here to discuss Murder by Degrees, an atmospheric murder mystery set in 19th century Philadelphia, in which a pioneering woman doctor investigates the disappearance of a young patient. Ritu was born in Calcutta, India, and grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. She received a bachelor's in history from Columbia and a medical degree from Sidney Kimmel Medical College of Thomas Jefferson University in Philadelphia. After residency training, she's practiced as an internist for 15 years. She lives in Marin County, California with her husband and three children and two rescue beagles and two cats. Reese, thank you for being here and congratulations on Murder by Degrees. I know it's been getting rave reviews and all the, uh, all the stars, which is very exciting and I'm so happy to have you on. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. I'm just absolutely delighted to be here. Thank you. So just enthralled by this story. And I love getting to read more about the Women's uh, Medical College in the book. And so I've been really looking forward to hearing more about the mystery, about kind of the real history of um, some of these pioneering women doctors. So looking forward to chatting. And I guess just to get us started, if you could tell our listeners a little bit about the premise the mystery and a bit about um, Dr. Lydia Weston. Yes. uh, So the premise of the mystery is, as you beautifully described it, um, you know, this this novel takes place at Women's Medical College of Pennsylvania. This was one of the first medical schools for women in the United States. And Dr. Lydia Weston, she's a professor and an anatomist. And so she's investigating the disappearance of this young patient. And as she's drawn into the police investigation, she really starts to learn more about this young woman that uh, she thought she knew. And so what I really set out to create was this very immersive, twisty mystery uh, that also draws on a lot of influences that I'm interested in, early forensic medicine, you know, 19th century uh, medicine, the history of women doctors, Victorian poetry. So there are a lot of influences um, that are in the book. But, you know, the character of Lydia was actually the first thing I envisioned for the book. So before I, you know, knew what the story was going to be or plotted out the mystery or anything, I had the inspiration for this character. And I would say there are probably two big influences. I've I number one, I've been an avid reader of mystery and crime fiction for as long as I can remember. I distinctly remember uh, going to my middle school library in seventh grade and discovering a shelf of Agatha Christie novels. And, you know, I read and then there were none and just, you know, couldn't uh, couldn't put them down afterwards. And so I'm really drawn to 
you know, the idea um, of like a independent kind of unconventional woman protagonist as investigator. So some of my fa- favorite series are like Sujatha Massey's Praveen Mystery or Kara Black's Amy LeDuc novels, you know, set in Paris. Um, and so, you know, that's been a big part of what influenced me to write a mystery novel. And the other thing was, you know, I spent five years living in Philadelphia as a medical student. I, while I was there, I spent a lot of time exploring, you know, the old city and Society Hill neighborhood that I lived in. And Philly is such a wonderful city. It's, you know, I grew up in California, and I don't think I'd ever really quite lived in an American city like that, where you walk a block, and there's these wonderful blue plaques, historical markers that signify, you know, some important person lived there, or something happened. And so what I discovered there that was very interesting to me is how much of the of the history of American medicine is there from, you know, these old venerable medical schools, specialty hospital, places like, you know, the Mutter Museum and the historic library and reading room at the College of Physicians. And so this was really fascinating to me. And it was actually only years later, though, when I left Philadelphia and thought of writing my own mystery novel that I learned of Women's Medical College. That's so interesting. And I, you know, right from the outset, when I heard the premise, definitely what drew me at first was the idea of, um, you know, this women's medical college and what would it have been like to be a woman practicing medicine in the late 1800s, you know, as the characters do in this book. And, you know, I guess, could you give listeners a little bit of um, a view of that and maybe how you went about doing some of the research um, to sort of bring those women and their experiences to light? Sure. You know, I chose 1875 um, for a few specific reasons. And one was that the Women's Medical College of Pennsylvania was really at the height of its operations. Um, At this time, they had moved to, and I describe this a little bit in the book, they had moved to a new almost campus at North College and 22nd Street in Philadelphia. So there was a hospital, there was a new medical school building, and the college had adopted what they call the progressive course. So they were trying to create a curriculum that would be on par with, you know, the University of Pennsylvania and, you know, medical schools that would not admit women. So there was this rigorous curriculum. There was this environment where women students, you know, were being taught by women faculty. So it was really this fascinating moment. And Lydia, the character of Lydia is fictional, of course, but she is really a composite of some of the real life women uh, that I was just fascinated by, inspired by, um, you know, who I discovered, you know, during the course of my research. So I did a lot of research um, through Drexel University's uh, Legacy Center Archives and Special Collections. So Drexel University in Philadelphia has this wonderful, it's like a trove repository of, you know, books, papers, you know, documents, photographs, um, just relating to the life of the college and the life stories of many of these women. And so to just give you an example, um, one of my favorite, uh, you know, real life women doctors to learn about was Dr. Anne Preston. She, um, it was notable for many things. Among them, she was the first woman to become the dean of an American medical school when she became dean of women's med in 1861. 
But I found her life story to be just very modern and unconventional in many ways. She grew up in a very progressive uh, Quaker family. Um, she was involved in social movements like, you know, temperance, uh, suffrage, uh, abolition. And she was actually a children's book author and a teacher before she decided to study medicine at the age of 38. Now, when wow. I was a medical, it, yeah, it's it just fascinating. You know, when I was a medical student, that idea of what we call the quote, non-traditional medical school felt very new and modern. You know, the idea that people with different life experiences, students who are a little bit older could bring a lot of depth to, um, you know, a career in medicine. And so it was just, you know, discoveries like this, you know, I would often think, you know, they lived in a different time and place, were separated by more than 150 years, but there were just elements of some of these women's stories that was just really inspiring to me. And, um, you know, another example, uh, Dr. Carolyn Still Anderson, she was a graduate in the class of 1878, one of the first black women physicians in the U.S., there was a group of, um, you know, international students. One, there's a famous photograph that kind of circulates on the on the web um, of these three uh, young women, one from Japan, one from India, and one from Syria, all wearing traditional dress. And these three women came to Women's Med in the late 1800s, studied medicine, and then went back to their home countries to practice as physicians. So it was just, uh, you know, a really wonderful journey as a modern day doctor, as someone who understands, you know, really the depths of commitment it takes to study medicine, the rigors of medical training, to just think about these women doing this in the 1800s. It's so interesting. And it would seem a little bit daunting, at least to me, to, you know, you've got to research the time period and also the medical knowledge of the time and the experiences for these women. But also, um, as you put it, it, it is this twisty mystery. So you're trying to plot all of this out. Did the book take a long time to come together? What was that journey like from sort of idea, knowing you wanted to do it all the way through to kind of maybe getting an agent? I, you know, the research very much felt like a natural process for me. This was something that I was used to from medicine. That, that was the remarkable thing is how much many of the skills that I learned in medicine really helped me in the writing process. So I don't have a background, uh, you know, in a writing career, but so many of the things that I learned, you know, through medical training and being an attending doctor, you know, just how to set a deadline, how to do long hours of research, how to kind of set a far off goal that maybe may seem difficult in a and just to really work towards it, um, you know, and not get discouraged. Those were really the, the skills that I relied on. Um, but, you know, the first thing that I felt, as you say, it was very important for me to create the world of the story. And that required a lot of research. So I was reading medical textbooks, you know, old medical journals, you know, histories of medicine, histories of the city of Philadelphia, histories about, you know, these women doctors, you know, memoirs of Civil War era surgeons. It just was very important to me to envision and create the world before I placed the story, before I placed the characters in it. And so that did take quite a lot of time. You know, I would say 
before I even set to writing, um, you know, the story or structuring the narrative, I really created the world. And that was as much for the reader as it was for me so that I could really fully envision what I was going to do. And then, um, then it really was, I had the characters, the main characters, you know, first there was Lydia and then I sort of created the supporting characters, uh, and really felt like I needed to understand them. So I wrote out, you know, character studies, for example. So like, what would Lydia wear? What would she, how would she dress? You know, what kind of family did she grow up in? And so it it was really kind of creating this huge backstory and that took time. And then it was, you know, structuring uh, the, the plot and the narrative and, and, Obviously, it is one thing to love to read mysteries and quite another <laughs> to plot one out yourself and create the structure. So so that was that was quite an involved process. How did you go about plotting the mystery? Do you have any advice for writers who are tackling that? You know, it's interesting. I always feel like I can see the beginning and the end very clearly. And then it's a matter of working backwards from the end. I I wish I could say I had better advice than this, but I think it just, and you know, through the writing of the book over many years, it, there were so many different permutations of the story. There were, you know, a lot of trial and error, lots of stops and starts. But I think, you know, that middle portion of the book and the really critical thing is obviously the pacing in a mystery and knowing what to reveal when, because, you know, you want to keep the reader, you want to keep the the flow of the story going, but you also want to like reveal things at the right time so that, you know, people are surprised. Um, and I think that was absolutely the toughest part of writing the book. Oh, I'm sure. And well, I would imagine too, so you're, you know, working as a doctor and you're taking on this giant writing project. Um, what was your routine like? Was this sort of like fitting it in? in, you know, little bursts? Or how, how did you approach a writing routine? Yes, yeah, so I did write this novel uh, all throughout, I was working as a doctor. So, and I have three, you know, school age children at home. And so there was a very busy full life going on. And, uh, but I knew this was something very important to me. And that was another thing I had so, for so long, you know, through medical training, and onwards, just really always sought this balance, you know, between my personal and professional life and found ways uh, to fit in things that were really important for me to do. And so because of the busyness of my life, I really had to use the time available. And that was early in the morning or late at night. And so I had this very consistent routine and that helped me tremendously. So I would get up, you know, early in the morning and work for a couple of hours before I had to go to work and then, you know, later in the evening after dinner and my children were asleep, I would sit at the, um, you know, kitchen table and, uh, you know, work again. And actually, the same routine, the consistent structure helped me a lot. And it, somehow, you know, my mind would just condition to, okay, this is the time you have available. And, you know, one thing that I felt was it was a very expansive space for me. I looked forward to it. It was... Um, it was a time where, you know, the house was quiet. I could really think clearly. I could let my imagination go free. And it felt, even though within the confines of this time, it felt very unstructured and open to me. Um, 
that's not to say, you know, it was easy. I just sat down and, oh, you know, here it comes an 80,000 word novel, not at all. Um, but that consistency really helped me even when things got challenging, you know, there were days, many days, you know, when I felt frustrated and overwhelmed. And so even being able to do just a little bit of work on a paragraph or think about one little plot line, um, that really kept the momentum going. I could imagine too, you're probably using a different part of like your brain and your skill set when you're writing. So maybe I, I could imagine it, it might be sort of refreshing in a way at the end of the day to be like turning on a different part of your brain as opposed to like, if you were just like putting in an extra shift, um, you know, working as a doctor, like that would probably be a little bit different. Like you're using different parts of yourself. Exactly. And it, it really never felt like an obligation. Just as you say, it never felt like one more thing I had to do. Um, but it really uh, became this wonderful creative space for me. And that was never truer than during the pandemic. And, um, you know, when the pandemic was happening, I had already been working on the book for a couple of years. And so it was just, you know, it wouldn't be an exaggeration to say it really was a lifeline, this, um, you know, creative work that I had. It was something that I really looked forward to. And it was just a place, you know, for my mind to relax and I could do something completely different, you know, than my regular job. And in, at a time when there was so much uncertainty and anxiety closing in, again, it felt like this very expansive space for me. It's so interesting to hear from a lot of authors. Um, I talked to Becca Freeman also today who wrote The Christmas Orphans Club, and she was writing a lot of that at the height of the pandemic. It's interesting that so many of these books are coming out now that really um, were, just as you say, sort of like a lifeline for people to be writing and kind of escaping into during the pandemic, and um, they're kind of out in the world now. So I just think it's interesting to see sort of what, like the artistic output from the pandemic yes. is going to wind up being like, we're still too close to it, but absolutely, um, yes. I just think it'll be interesting to sort of see like what trends there are and things like that. Well, you know, I would also love to hear as you were kind of, you know, taking on this other craft and this, um, you know, other career, this writing career, are there any particular things that you felt like really helped you along the way? Like, a writing community or a resource or a tool that you found particularly helpful? I really, you know, I know that many writers, uh, you know, go, do writing seminars or groups or have, um, you know, a, a writing partner to work with. I really wrote, I, I do think I work best. And because of the hours that what I was work that I was working on this, you know, very early in the morning, uh, very late at night. Um, I really did a lot of the work just on my own. And, uh, you know, that really works for me that I, I think that's the best way uh, that I work. I, I feel that, again, the consistency of the routine more than anything else is what helped me keep the momentum, you know, going. So even doing just the smallest amount of work, and there were days that I, I really felt like I, I couldn't even give it an hour, you know, even a half an hour of like reading for research or looking at an old medical journal. So I would, that, that would be my biggest piece of advice. But 
you know, this, this whole process I find now, it's just as unique as every single person who's doing it, right? Every writer has those things that they feel works best for them. And, um, you know, for me, just sitting down at my kitchen table, having my books spread out there, my children are, you know, like, we always joke like half their childhood is like half the dining table is not usable because mom's a <laughs> computer and like stacks of, you know, papers are there. But that that is really, you know, it worked honestly best for me. And certainly with along with my busy career as a doctor. Well, I was wondering, too, because I love the title Murder by Degrees. And I'm wondering if that took a long time to come to or if that was sort of your name for the project all along. This, uh, the book actually did have a title change, but I was very focused on having the title come from a fragment of poetry. So, you know, as you know, and as readers will discover, there is a big undercurrent and theme of Victorian poetry, you know, in this book. And I love to read poetry myself. And so I've read, you know, all different periods. But, you know, during this time uh, period, I really wanted that connection. That's one of the connections between Lydia and this young woman, Anna, that she's you know, who is her patient, but who she develops a closer relationship to. So uh, it was really important to me to use a fragment of poetry as the title and some of my favorite authors. So, for example, P.D. James or Alan Bradley, who writes the Flavia de Luce mysteries or Robertson Davies, uh, you know, the wonderful Salterton and Deptford trilogies, you know, they often use, uh, you know, a fragment of poetry as the title. So I really, you know, wanted that uh, to, to be a part of it. And I'm so glad because, you know, the epigraph, the poem that it's drawn from, I think is so haunting and so atmospheric as only Emily Dickinson can do. And it really just kind of really reflects on themes in the book. So it worked perfectly, I felt. I love that. And, you know, kind of with the title, I'm just looking at it now, it has this really also as kind of I'll steal your words haunting and atmospheric cover with this like gold type and a woman looking off like kind of on an abandoned um, street um, in Philadelphia. And I, I also wondered if that was sort of, you know, number 50 of like 50 versions or if that came about quickly. That actually came about quickly. The an amazing art department and art director, uh, you know, presented these. Uh, there were actually two choices. And this one, there is something so, you know, s- someone mentioned that it's really the the gas lamp right on the street. That is such a it's so interesting. It's, you know, the warmth of that light and then the shadows on the street and the fact that, you know, the woman is sort of looking off into the distance. We can't see her face or her features really well, but we can sort of make out that the doctor or the medical bag that she's holding, it just fit perfectly because so much of the the atmosphere of the novel is, you know, these cobblestone alleys in Philadelphia and, and um, you know, the main character, Lydia, is doing a lot of investigating on her own. And so I felt like the, the cover really captured it beautifully. Yeah, it really does. And just, yeah, it really um, portrays that mood um, of the story. Well, um, you know, one of my last questions I would just love to hear, you know, we have been, or at least I have been, listeners will get there, but I've been so um, 
you know, fascinated by your book and really, you know, just drawn in by that world and these characters. And I'm curious, um, you know, when you have your reading hat on, if there are any books that have really captivated you lately that you'd want to recommend to listeners. Oh, I'd love to. I I just finished uh, the Sujatha Massey's The Mistress of Bhatia House. So this is an installment, I believe it's the fourth book in the Praveen Mystery uh, series. And Praveen is a lawyer in 1920s Bombay. And she is uh, part of a prominent Parsi family. And this particular novel takes place uh, where she is, you know, drawn into an investigation at uh, a woman's, um, like a woman's health or maternity hospital. And what I love about these books is it just drops the reader into rather like what I hope to create this immersive world that we might not know about. And I think, you know, the vivid depictions of like the food, the culture, it's during the British Raj, you know, the, the, the social mores, you know, women's rights. I think Sujatha Massey really draws brilliantly on these themes um, that feel very modern and relevant. So I really enjoyed that. And then, I also read uh, recently Jane Harper's The Dry, and that, again, the setting was so distinctive. I, I tend to read a lot of historical mystery, maybe some older mysteries, but I mean, obviously, Jane Harper, this is it's new to me, not new to anyone else. She's such a, a wonderful author and um, has had so much success. But this particular book, The Dry, uh, was her first one. And it, you know, it is set in this town in uh, the Australian outback where there is this, you know, a, a huge drought. And so the, the mystery takes place against the backdrop of this very distinctive setting. And one of the other authors that I love is Henning Mankell, the Swedish um, kind of noir writer and his Kurt Wallander mysteries. And so the reason I bring that up is that I do love mysteries where you know, the setting is so evocative. It's almost like a character itself. And I felt like that was definitely the case um, in this book, The Dry. And it was just, it was wonderful. Really enjoyed was, both of them. Yeah, those both sound great. I will definitely link to those. It's always nice to get to add some more to your reading list. Um, yes. Well, Ritu, I really just enjoyed getting to hear you talk more about Murder by Degrees. I really hope that listeners go pick up a copy. Um and they will just love all the twists and turns and getting to read about these interesting women doctors. And I hope that they are as captivated by the book as, as I was. So um, just thank you for being here and for sharing more um, about the mystery. Thank you so much for having me. And I really appreciate, appreciate the time and hope your listeners enjoy the book. Thank you. For links to all of the books mentioned on this week's episode, you can visit abookishhome.com. If you are enjoying the show, I hope you take a minute to subscribe and also rate and review wherever you get your podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to share it on social media to help other people find the show and this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone, and happy reading.